I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Footy Prime, the podcast, presents the Weekend Wrap Show. Well, Omicron may have taken away your favorite team's fixture this weekend, but it has not taken away another edition, the weekend recap edition of Footy Prime. Thank you very much for keeping safe, Craig Forrest, and joining me, Brendan Dunlop, on another edition, maybe our last edition before uh, our official Christmas break. Maybe. Did you recover from losing in Dan Wong's quiz to James Sharman in the 10th the other night? Because I'm still bugging about it. Yeah. There was, a, there was a steward's inquiry. I did you hear about that? Who was the one that brought the brought the lawyers? You're, you're the Mercedes, eh? You brought the lawyers to the tent party, expecting there to be. Oh yeah, it's already happened. That they've they've gone to his house and taken the toys away. Why didn't we take any pictures with those glasses? Those child size Kanye shutter lens glasses? Why didn't we do that? I couldn't get them around my heed. <laughs> Guess not. I had a lot of fun though. And uh, if you've not listened to our Christmas quiz, Quizmas, as I was calling it, uh, Dan Wong. Did a great job running us uh, through the gauntlet there. I was I was impressed. Yeah, a, a bit more name that tune than name that center back that I would have liked to be honest. But yeah, and not my categories of uh, music either. No. It's kind of the you know it, but you don't know it. No, <laughs> it's almost like looking at the fixture list. We know what games are supposed to be played, but we don't know what games will actually be played. Right? I woke up thinking, uh, oh, thank God, Aston Villa is one of these two games. And imagine how bad. Oh, the, the producers and anyone that worked on Match of the Day felt we're like, how the hell are we going to do a whole hour around Leeds Arsenal? Yikes. Yikes. What did they do? I didn't watch Match of the Day, but I imagine there was a lot of uh, preview of the next day. We still got three games on, on Sunday, which was nice, but yeah. just the one late kickoff after um, they called off Burnley-Aston Villa. And I felt bad for, I mean, at any, any time that that situation is where you know, the day has started and they've called off the game. You know, there are people that have made some journey, some commute to, to go to the ground and, uh, and you feel bad for that. So uh, I hate seeing that so late. And it, uh, it was very late six games this weekend alone called off. There was a couple midweek as well. Mm-hmm. A couple of teams, Thomas Frank, Brentford manager, Thomas Frank said that they should you know take a break until boxing day, that the league should come to a stop. But what do you think? Should they not allow the healthy teams to play? Quite honestly, Dunny. I have no fucking idea anymore. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I really don't. Like, I, I went to the Raptors game Saturday night uh, with my nephew. It was great. And we're lucky enough to get in. 50% capacity. 
the whole starting lineup of Golden State goes home. It was a non-event. Like, I've never been to an event like it. And for those poor people that maybe have got in and thought, yeah, I spent all their money on a set of tickets for the big game with Curry and Wiggins and the rest, and you come in to see that, it's like it's a little bit embarrassing to the product and uh, damaging to the NBA, I think. But there's a big problem everywhere, and, and I don't even know where this is going. Like, it's nobody really does. It doesn't seem to be clear at all. So. Here we are back back in the mixer again and in a very difficult situation for football and everybody else for that matter. But there's a good point, right? You look at some of these teams scrambling to be able to field to play this this weekend and you know Liverpool are quite close, Jurgen Klopp said. And if they get any more cases, they're not going to be able to to field a, f- a senior team next week. And you know, you say it's a bit embarrassing for the NBA to have played that game and not had a full caliber NBA squad out there. Remember in the FA Cup last season when Aston Villa had to play their under 23 team because they were the only players that hadn't actually been to the training ground because they had been away on some trip yeah and villa played liverpool and they rolled out their under 23 team to play liverpool and they got destroyed it was a full full side yeah Klopp, you know went with his best 11 against a full under 23 at some point the integrity of the game is it's greatly affected here doesn't that matter it does it should it does it should but at, in the end of the day they're just trying to get these games in and and uh, from a, like the Premier League standpoint, this is a busy schedule for TV, Sky Television, whoever's got the rights to zone all these different companies to have these games on. This is what they're paying for. And one way or the mm-hmm. other, get the freaking 11 out there and play them. You know, the NBA, from their standpoint, they're worried about Christmas Day coming up. They want to make sure that they have a healthy, healthy group. No matter what. Well, same deal. I mean, that is their that is their flagship. That is their Boxing Day. If if Boxing Day was wiped off the Premier League calendar, that would be a massive blow yeah. to a league that's already suffered hugely, right? Yeah. Richard Masters, who's the Premier League chief executive now, throws out numbers. All these execs are throwing out numbers, right? Every day, Andrea Agnelli is saying Juve's lost more and more money. Twenty-three billion, forty-five billion, one trillion dollars. Come on, <laughs> Richard Masters says uh, two billion. In lost revenue, the Premier League has, has suffered because of COVID-19. Uh, that includes 330 million pounds in, in rebates that they've had to pay out to broadcasters. So when it comes to not being able to fill the broadcast sheet, um, I think that's that's definitely their concern and why they haven't rid um, the, the fixture list of, of uh, these games if there are healthy players and they're able to play them, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, how it breaks things breaks things up, but is there an un, is there an unfair advantage to healthy teams that are unaffected uh, by cases if there was a break now? Because I could also see that argument. What that they would be saying that we've done everything we have properly, and that's why we haven't. Well, that too had any cases. That a lot of that's down to luck because they're going home and their kids are still probably going to different daycares and whatnot, bringing it home and. Next thing you know, a player's bringing it to the training ground. So it's a lot of little battles of losing and winning against this thing. It's hit and miss. I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. It, it does feel like a strange vibe, though, right? Like, I've, I was I tweeted the other day that it feels like March 10th, 2020, which was the day before Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID and the NBA shut down. And that was the official start of COVID, the pandemic, for a lot of people, right? I remember uh, the news came out that Rudy Gobert had COVID and that the NBA was, uh, they pulled those games immediately. 
and that uh, I can't remember if the when that night the news came out that the NBA was shutting up that they were they were they were gonna shut down shop. And my wife was flying back from LA that night, and in between me leaving, Rudy Gobert had tested positive. The NBA was canceling those games, and then I'm in the car, and Trump is on speaking from the Oval Office, uh, shutting down Europe. Europe's closed. No more Europe. I mean, England, yeah, but England's not Europe. Let's be honest. We got to deal with England because we love them. But Europe closed. And that yeah. was like, whoa, that was, that was really the start, right? And uh, it kind of feels like like that all over again. A, a shitty, deja vu, familiar feeling. Yeah, it does. And they, they don't know what's going on. And mm. games are being canceled all over, all games, like different spots. How are they going to fix this? How are they going to get the games in? Because your broadcasters have paid for the for those games. I think in looking to the lead up to this weekend, um, midweek they had to cancel a, a couple of games. Leicester Tottenham was was called off when Liverpool played Newcastle and uh, and Chelsea played Everton. They got that in, but Leicester and Tottenham were off, and they had announced that three of the games I think on Saturday, just just before one of those matches kicked off, Chelsea there. They had announced that three of the games Saturday were off, and they may have already had one game on Sunday. If I'm not mistaken, Everton Leicester may have already been off. We knew that was coming. I thought they were going to wipe the whole weekend, and I thought you got to protect Boxing Day. That's what I thought. Perhaps the argument was that these healthy teams, there was an unfair advantage, or perhaps the an unfair advantage to the teams that had gotten sick. And yeah, as you say, not, maybe not gone about things the right way, or not you know been smart enough. But again, that's I believe that that's unfair. You're asking these players to; these players still have to live lives, as does the staff. And there's only so much, you know, of a bubble you can actually keep without without being in an actual bubble, like they did the MLS back tournament, or the Canadian Premier League did in Prince Edward Island. And to be honest, who the hell wants to live like that? Like no one wants to live wanted to live like that then, and certainly not again in the same situation. So. Hopefully it passes. Um, there's got to be some kid in league, uh, huh? With named uh, last name Omicron that's just on the verge of breaking through. He's like, oh, now my career's fucked. Got to be right. <laughs> I was either going to make that joke or a shirt sponsor joke. Yeah, yeah, that was it. How many did uh, COVID guys at Chelsea have against Wolves? This is the thing, right? Is that um, Klopp had complained about the lack of transparency and how while these why it is that these teams don't have to actually name how many players also makes it unfair. I think it was, I think it was lesser. It was like, I only got six or seven. What is it? Is it six or is it seven? And, and and who is it? And it seems like it's a lot of the staff. And when these training grounds get shut down and mind you, they they all also are running multiple teams through from the women's team to under 23s, under 19s or, you know, the, the Academy is still running at full tilt. There's a lot of bodies going through those doors. So if the staff gets it, it compromises several different teams. So I can see, you know, the perhaps quick reaction to, you know, not cap it at, well, 10 cases or it's four cases or it has to be six players. Why it is circumstantial and the reactions have been a bit different, but that does make for uh, a lot of inconsistency when it comes to how many player, how many people are actually getting sick and what is the deciding factor for calling off a game? Yeah. Well, they got meetings tomorrow, apparently. So uh, I think I have all the top flight clubs there on Monday to discuss all the options. So I guess they'll come to some sort of agreement. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But hey, man, enough about the games that didn't happen. Because the games that did happen, at least the late one on Sunday, Tottenham 2, Liverpool 2, it's a pretty damn good advert for the Premier League, wouldn't you say? Oh, it's a great game. All sorts of 
Well, I mean, from a, a purist standpoint, I know a few people that would have liked to have seen a more beautiful game or whatever, but, you know, from a, lots of mistakes, lots of really good football, lots of really, you know, crazy mistakes. Allison, he, uh, he played really well, I thought, until the mistake. <laughs> Just missed playing that ball. Yeah. But, holy cow, he got Robertson, like, no question when I saw the replay there, I was like, he's gone. The yellow card was going to get turned over. But having seen the challenge previous, that Harry Kane's nasty-ass challenge on him, that didn't go to VAR. No. Paul Tierney pulled out a yellow card for that, and it stood. And then VAR called him to look at Robertson. And you're right. Yeah. it's It certainly looked like a red. But his initial reaction, much like the first time, was was yellow. Why didn't VAR call Tierney over for the other one? Uh, because... I mean, they have to make a decision on what they think is it gets to a point where it's like, okay, clear and obvious. So they're looking at Harry Kane's and they're like, maybe he thought he got a bit of the ball. It wasn't obviously clear and obvious. It was one foot, but he did catch Robertson. I don't think they were the two of the same things. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Kane's might have been a yellow and a half. You know what I mean? Like it, I, I don't. Don't necessarily think, uh, although a huge factor in both of those challenges was that the players in those challenges got their feet off the ground right? just as it came in. And that protected them from breaking a leg or knee damage, uh, as well as Robertson. Because that reminded me an awful lot like gas going back in the day. I think it was at Wembley, at, at FA Cup maybe, and challenged and he ended up hurting himself. I think he might even get red carded, got sent off maybe. And he out for months and months with a knee ligament. So you can actually hurt yourself. And the way he's going in there and the old Scottish eyes. I was talking to Alex McKechnie at the time. We were watching the game, not together, but texting and watching the game yeah. at the same time. Like, go look at your mate there, Robertson, your fellow Scotsman, just the eyes, the red mist coming over them. He's the first <laughs> Liverpool player to be sent off in two years. Isn't that something? They don't play a game where they put themselves in that position or get caught in that position. No, their discipline is really, really good too. Like, I mean, obviously Klopp keeps on about that, but once in a while, uh, that'll be a that'll be a good lesson because now he's going to be missing for three games, right? Because of what they'll classify as violent, right, conduct. I would imagine so they've got injuries, COVID absences. It's going to be difficult for Liverpool to. Yeah, send out a team and and Man City just seem to keep you know they they won I don't know how many in a row like. The last five at least, you know, so. Yeah, Man City rolling. Top top of the league on Christmas Day. But I just want to finish up on Liverpool first because Klopp did make one decision that wasn't COVID-related. Uh, he started 19-year-old Tyler Morton, gave him his full debut. Didn't need to because uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was available, started on the bench, but I thought Morton looked pretty good. A little, little overwhelmed at times, but mm-hmm. understandable when you got Kane and Son constantly running around behind you. Yeah. And Conte had Spurs playing that 5-3-2 to catch Liverpool on the counter, and they did a couple times in the second half. Yeah, Spurs should have taken the lead there. Yeah, Son and Kane had quite a few chances, and there was there was one link up play where I forget if it was if it was Kane that just whiffed on it, or the I think it was the defender had it broken up. Allison made a big stop on Son on the short side there once as well. Yeah, good save on Deli Alley too. I thought that looked like a bad miss, and then it's that was a holy shit. That's not sure if it was going in, probably. But that touch was outstanding. What do you think Conte's doing with him? Is he just out here in the shop window? Or does he actually believe that he deserves to be in the squad and he 
he can be a, a, a real driving factor for this team. Yeah, I, I think that Conte is in a position right now that he's not interested in just doing things like that. Like he he's showing some real belief in in the player there by um, by playing him, which is great. What happened to him, Ali? Yeah, I was just talking about that today. Like what? Like he was the the star eye, twinkle eyed boy. Like you know, the up and coming great player, and it, it was like, where is it? Where is it? And then he sort of fell off and then he wasn't really talked about much and what Grealish and Foden were for England at the Euros is exactly where Deli Ali was without yeah. having an England yeah. t- a tournament to impress at England to kind of take over right and he was a That's right. key factor in their title chase the Premier League title chase under Pochettino yeah and in the Champions League run to the final yeah. and they lost to Liverpool then Jose came in and he was on the downward trajectory the start of that season part of the reason why Pochettino lost his job, I think, was because Spurs weren't playing their game and largely because Deli Alley wasn't playing at the same height and wasn't performing the same way that he was previously. And they really highlighted that relationship on the All or Nothing series on Amazon with Jose Mourinho trying to get the most out of him. You know, I believe in you, man, but he, he never reached that height, it seems like. A lot of potential and just, I don't know, not able to string it together. Unlucky with some injuries as well, but... Doesn't have that fight. Just you don't see it in his in his play, in his work. And I'm not there at training. I, I don't cover the team on a consistent basis. I can't truly say. But I had to pin it down to something and say a player to stay at the top needs a certain edge. And he started to get to the top and didn't seem like he had that edge or the interest in keeping that edge to to stay there. Yeah, keeping that edge. It just seems to have disappeared because he was something else. Like. Something to be reckoned with. And you look at Spurs and when Kane coming through, remember everybody was like, I mean, that team and the club and everything else. And it was looking like they were going to challenge for, for the title. They were good enough. They were. Yeah, they were They were knocking on it. But what, he fell off. Fantastic and, back line, aging, but they were great. He fell off and Spurs have certainly fallen off. And now we're talking about them, you know, kicking on, hoping for a European place, but that's not uh, necessarily exclusive to a Champions League place, is it? The maiden voyage in the Europa Conference League, Tottenham Hotspur. An answer to yeah. a trivia question that they are embarrassed by, clearly. The Conference League. We still I don't even know what that is. I don't even know if I ever will. I don't even know if it'll ever be important, worth it. I, I, we'll see when they schedule the final. The, the scheduling of the Europa League final was always like an appetizer, and it reminded you that the Champions League final was on X day. Yeah. I think it's been... Only 10 years. It was Inter, if I'm not mistaken. Inter and Bayern. So that was 2010. So 11 years. That was the first final that they put on Saturday. Because remember the final used to be on Wednesday. As in all of the European midweek games. They were Tuesday and Wednesday. The final was always a Wednesday. Right. And for that, uh, Inter's trouble winning trophy. Trouble winning season with Jose Mourinho. They made it a Saturday fixture. And a big, big showpiece, showcase staple event on the weekend. So the conference league is going to be played on Monday, probably Monday morning. Just put it in someone's back garden. And you get more attention. They just put it at High Park. Don't you think? You get more interest than oh, that'd be amazing. They're going to play it in Latvia or uh, Baku, Bosnia, or somewhere. No one will notice. Yeah, where would the final be played at the uh, arena, whatever in Albania? There you go. Perfect. Just so you know. Thanks for saving me from looking it up. <laughs> I appreciate that, buddy. Well, that's right. Well, you want to put that in your calendar. I'll add that to my calendar. Uh, if you look at the calendar, 
and see how many sleeps away we are from Christmas. Uh, you look at the Premier League table, you'll see Man City at the top as they were able to take advantage with Liverpool and Chelsea dropping points on Sunday. That's right. Man City, top of the league at Christmas, just like I predicted. Danny Dicchio, who's been absent. Remember our pre-shows? I, I feel like Deech and I have never really gotten into a, like a row, and it wasn't really a row, but I was <laughs> waxing poetically about how Man City were clear-cut favorites and they were going to run away with the league, and he thought I was insane. He thought that Chelsea were the favorites as much as that pained him being a West London boy who hates the blues. He hates Chelsea fans. He always says, but he thought that Lukaku was so much the difference maker and that they were just going to push on and continue to grow from the European championship side that they were last season. And it's been great to have a title race, but here we are Christmas and it's the sky blues on the top. Yep. I don't see them being knocked off. You think they're going to be able to run away with it and stay there? Because it's going to be it's yeah. a busy. Maybe not run away with it. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. But I just think that they're just... It's the way they're playing and the types of goals that they're getting and the involvement, right? And every time that Pep has had a Premier League winning side, they have been very much a deep team unit. And they've had the luxury of having a deep bench, 15 players that would start on most Premier League sides. They've had the advantage of that for quite a few seasons. But it's the way Pep has them going at the moment at this point in this season that makes me think that they're going to be in the Champions League final and they're going to be on top of the Premier League at the start of May if they haven't wrapped up the title already at that point. Just look at Sunday against Newcastle, how it started. Exactly. Two Portuguesers on the score sheet. That gives me hope. That gives me a lot of hope eh? for for Turkey and Italy in March. <laughs> the qualifiers. <laughs> for sure. And so it should. Ruben Diaz. with some good ballers. They do. But also, like, with City, that's it's the luck. They're just mm-hmm. they're getting a, like a lot of good luck to be in the right place at the right time. And you got to be good to be lucky. Obviously, this team is very good. But that Newcastle defending, that was schoolboy shit for that Diaz goal. Did you see Cancelo just kind of chipped it into the box? It should have been dealt with by the Newcastle defender there. And Dubravka, um, that, this guy leads the league in penalty area panics. Unbelievable. Hey, this guy just like scrambles. <laughs> and... I will we'll say, though, he did make a great point-blank save on Gabby Jesus on a header there um, before, I think it was before Cancelo made it 2-0 or before it was 3-0. But you don't need to give Man City yeah. any gifts, and Newcastle did that, and City just ran away with it. That's an understatement. Newcastle are shambles, bottom line. That is an understatement. They're only 19th, though, eh? They're, they're not uh, dead last at Christmas, so at least there's that blessing to count. No, I guess not, right? They have, a, except they've got a new Norse has got a game in hand on them. Norse have a game in hand, yeah, but the goal differential, I guess. Burnley's got three games in hand, so really, you're it's it's Norwich, Newcastle, Watford. Mm. You got to think that Burnley's going to pick up a win in the next three, but maybe not. <laughs> I mean, they've drawn four of their last five, Burnley. So if they keep doing that, they'll probably stay up. The team bottom of the Premier League on Christmas Day has gone on to be relegated in the last six seasons. Leicester, 2014-2015. That's the last side that have stayed up, having been last on Christmas Day. And I think it's only happened a couple of times, isn't it? West Brom did it once, and then some. I think there's only been a couple, maybe only once, right? Yeah, maybe. But also, yeah. the, the fact that Leicester won the Premier League the next season, that blows my mind. <laughs> well, I was reminded of that, like, oh, yeah. I think, I think that season Leicester had been promoted. That's true. They were bottom. We all thought, ah, the hell with the Foxes. Thanks for coming up. And then next season, they won the league. That's right. They had an unbelievable run at the end of the uh, season to stay up. And somehow, yeah, that's that's 
the most miraculous thing in sporting history. I mean, might we be saying that about Newcastle? Because they're going to have a very busy January, which cannot come soon enough. And they're going to have a very expensive summer. And maybe at the start of the season, we're talking about them as top four favorites. Very different scenario, obviously, from in comparison to lesser. But they also have to be very careful of their, well, <laughs> so-called spending. You can't just go crazy without actually making, you know, you can only lose so much unless you figure out ways around it. I mean, Man City's been challenged on that many times. They figured it out. Being, you know, sponsorship deals by this going from one pocket to another mm-hmm. and these type of things. So it, it gives the illusion that they're getting a $400 million sponsorship deal. But if that's owned by the same people that own the club, should that count? Hey, George Mendes has figured out. He's got a Chinese ownership group on the title for Wolves, and we all know that's his team. So I think there's Chinese ownership on the uh, on uh, Mad City, too, and the City Group. Oh, okay. Involved in the City Group. I think there's 10%, which would be a state, state fund, which is basically government. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> Call it whatever you like. Well, I don't want to go breaking down the escrow and breaking down ownership stakes, but since I mentioned Wolves, and uh, speaking of a team that knows how to get away with some spending, Chelsea. Wolves nil, Chelsea nil. Maybe a bit unlucky. I thought Wolves played played really well. They were on the front foot for quite a bit. Very much looked like the, the home team that was unafraid. Daniel Poden scored, um, but it was deemed uh, offside. It went to VAR, and Raul Jimenez was... It was deemed that he was affecting the play from his offside position, though he didn't touch the ball. And they called it back, and yeah. we ended up with a scoreless fixture. Jimenez has had a bad few weeks. Yeah. That 30-second sending off two yellow cards, uh, that was a beauty as well a couple of weeks ago. Wolves released a documentary. It's on their YouTube channel. I just started watching it, and I got interrupted about 10 minutes in. But it's uh, about his injury and what that day was like. And I'm assuming it's the recovery which is remarkable that he's back and playing at um, nearly full full capacity, it seems. I don't think he's, he's quite found the, the step. Um, but to, to say that he's see that he's still starting in the Premier League and still starting for his country, not two years removed from what looked like a, a fatal injury. It's pretty remarkable. It, it seems it, doesn't it? I think with the medicine we're seeing these days, like um, Petr Cech had that, you know, you know com- compare injuries or even... Our our friend uh, Ian Hume, you're right, Canadian Ian Hume. That was a he was very fortunate because uh, Ian went home, and it wasn't until after Petercheck, believe it was Mourinho, that really pushed. Like, what are we doing here? Like, it took a half an hour or something for the ambulance to get to the uh, to Red. I think it was a Reading, and to get him to the hospital. Like, it was just what's going on. So. The, the changes that they made were actually massive to the to the life saving of uh, Muamba at Tottenham when he had car went into cardiac arrest. Right, there was top people in every field that could possibly go on in a football field all around him instantly. Seen that in the in the Euros as well, and that's the thing we see in motor racing: the safety improves because of when something horrible happens. Right, that that's what moves the needle. It really is, isn't it? It seems to have to happen. And it's wild. You know, the halo that they drive with on the car that protects the driver's head from yeah. virtually anything. Yeah. And you look at how many close calls there have been since just introducing the halo three seasons ago, I believe it was. I mean, Max Verstappen put his car on top of Lewis Hamilton's car. Totally freak racing incident. And if the halo wasn't there, we're not talking about Lewis Hamilton because he's no longer with us. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you go back even in the history of the Formula One when those guys were racing those old Ferraris and they had that little roll bar <laughs> just behind their head and a little helmet on and burning up in their cars. Crazy. Very s- slow evolution. We like to pick on football for being old and set in their ways sometimes, but at least when it comes to things like the health and safety of players, we've we've seen a, a quick progression to, as you say, get to a point where you know Christian Eriksen is, uh, is still with us because mm-hmm. um, of the advancements and improvements that have happened because of some incidents in the past, but yeah. And also the rule changes. I mean, there's, there's no question that the physicality, uh, whether we like it or not is, uh, been taken out of the game. And, and in some ways I believe in the right way. Um, right. there's no more of this in the dressing room going back when I started in the freaking eighties, where it was, it was targeting the best player, um, early on and as, you know, as hard as you possibly could, almost like the referee will always give you one. I mean, you saw the Vinnie Jones challenge on McMahon and at the FA Cup final. Like that's, you know, scissoring him waist height. That's and not even getting a booking is, you know, like that's those days are gone. And and it rightly so. So it takes the kind of goons out of the game, kind of like we saw in the NHL, I think, with hockey. It allowed smaller guys that maybe not have been able to fight their way up through juniors and get it in the NHL, but skilled, fast took the hooking out just you know so you've you've produced a game that's much more watchable technical premier league and football is no different and i think that rule change with the goal kick being played inside the box and i think pep was really the first one to to figure that out and how it creates so much more space you see the space when you're playing through it it's dangerous when they do it but the guys should be confident enough and good enough at the Premier League level, and most of them do. You, you see very few mistakes, really. So for the for the benefit of doing it, it's obviously benefiting teams a lot more than it's hurting them by playing like that. It's been a long time since we've been talking about the referees being, I feel like, the lead story. A couple of decisions, um, because this wasn't a very good weekend for, for VAR or officials in general, but you just reminded me of an incident in the Newcastle City game. Did you see Emerson come out and uh, catch Frazier in the box? Frazier was chasing Cancelo. Cancelo was twisted around and he was trying to b- break out of a uh, city zone. And Emerson came came out to to be a presence, and he caught Frazier and he took him out. It, that should have been a that should have been a penalty. That's right. And and I'm not sure what they said afterwards because the ball was kind of he was chasing it. He wasn't going to get it, but I don't think that should change the fact that he's chasing a ball behind another player, and the goalkeeper just fucking took him out. Right, total like mental error. It seemed like from from Emerson. Uh, no, no reason to put himself in that no, position. None at all. Wild. Well, no harm done for City, and they uh, they won it four nil. I think I made the reference that match of the day must have had a hard time planning a whole show around Arsenal uh, leads one, Arsenal four. <laughs> but uh, Gabriel Martinelli with two yeah. goals, a lot for Brazilian fans to be excited about and uh, and anyone who wants the Pierre Emerick Obama Yang era at Arsenal to quickly come to an end they might be okay with Gabriel Martinelli. Yeah. No they looked uh, they looked good. They look good. They often do Arsenal against clubs like that though, don't they? I mean, as far as finishing goes and yes, getting up against the big boys. Take nothing away from them and what Mikel Arteta has done this season. I mean, we were all laughing at them at the start of September. You know, uh, after three games, it was Spurs top and Arsenal bottom. And we all thought, 
that would change. That wouldn't stay that that way until Christmas or uh, until Halloween. Not even not even until mid September. Uh, Arsenal went on a run and found their foot. And now they're fourth at Christmas and well in fourth. Like I mean, they're well. West Ham have a game in hand, but I mean, West Ham are slipping here. They they've only picked up one win in their last five games, so they're gonna. That's not going to keep them in the top four for very long, is it? Fifth place at Christmas is a very impressive spot for West Ham to be in, though, and not a spot that they're used to being in. I agree. And as well as uh, competing in the Europa League at the same time, which is usually not a, a good thing for a, a club with not a massive squad, although they've played some young players that have done some well, uh, did well in the Europa League there pretty well. I think they ended up losing to uh, Zagreb. It was Zagreb. Kula Kulis. Uh, yes, he I Zagreb. He's going to be all over that, yeah. They had won the group at that point already. Correct. Yeah. They were cruising the group. Yeah, West Ham. But, I mean, that was that's a, a nice spot to be in when you got the work done and you don't have to worry about, you know, having to play and uh, put more load on the players that are already playing and coming up into what is going to be a heavy schedule. Yeah, it will be a nasty and a heavy schedule for them. We hope, Well, I mean, we hope it's a heavy schedule. Just we hope we get these games and, and we see people uh, at the games and – I think the, it's been good, though. The football's been fantastic lately. Has it been strange for you to watch in other places, like in the Bundesliga, them back yeah. in empty stadiums? Yeah, it is. I didn't think we'd get back there to that. You know, I wasn't naive to think that there wouldn't be attendance restrictions again. And uh, and I'd be lying if I said, you know, it, it feels comfortable watching a full Premier League yeah. grounds every week. It, it doesn't feel that long ago that, you know, we were talking about Wembley being half full for the final and that seeming... Ugh, yeah. potentially irresponsible i know it's 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 we don't know but isn't it driving us nuts it mm-hmm. drives me nuts like it's just so done with it You're obviously not alone and we've we've uh often joked but i think been quite serious in saying that uh being able to do footy prime once a week twice a week has been uh therapy for us and hopefully for for you listening and it has been as well i'm glad that we've been able to do yeah. it yeah they can yell at the scream too they go fucking covid fuck sake this freaking thing (laughs) because i mean you know covid has definitely uh kicked on and enhanced and improved this the show i think very much so we've been able to do more content we've been able to do it from home more frequently better sound quality at times at times so there's that blessing if there's uh you know what you're 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 a half cup half full guy eh? i'm portuguese i'm actually not but in this situation (laughs) i was trying to be just because we went we Gated down that dangerous road of Omicron, and I made a joke about him playing on some shit league inside. Yeah. I thought it was worth pulling it back. Serie <laughs> A, buddy. Huge fixture on Sunday. AC Milan lost uh, at home to Napoli 1-0. That is a huge win for Napoli, who have fallen off like Milan. They both had hot starts of the season. Um, they went unbeaten yeah. their opening 12 games to start the year. But with that result on Sunday, Napoli leapfrog AC Milan for second. They're behind uh, Inter, who have a four-point cushion. At Christmas, Inter beat uh, Salernitana. The uh, Minnows there five nil on Friday, so that was a big one. Um, Tamori was huge for AC Milan. The uh, former Canadian, everyone loves to talk about Tamori as that missed opportunity. He might get some England chances, but he's maybe a bit out of sight, out of mind because he's at AC Milan. But he's damn good for them. Yeah, he is, and he is tied now, isn't he? Because he played a qualifying. He is tied to England. Yeah, oh. they're going to do with another young lad. Uh, like, I think with that. Canadian from Guelph, who's at Arsenal. He had his first uh, call-up for um, the Mexican full team. Right. It was against Chile in a friendly, so it doesn't count. But at the same time, you know what? I mean, I hope he thrives with Mexico. Like that whole story, you know, Marcelo and his family and 
getting that chance at Ipswich Town uh, where I was for years and coming through that system. And, and if he was from Mexico and he's decided to do that, all the best to him. His dad's Mexican. He's so passionate. You can't possibly begrudge a guy like that, even though he's Canadian. However, uh, if they tie him up with the Mexican national team and say down the road, he's maybe not good enough. I mean, I guess you could say that with Canadian team too, because we got some real talent, but you're guaranteed uh, 26. And then there's a big expansion, you know, where Canada should qualify every year after that. You would hate to see a kid get tied with a national team and would have been brilliant playing for Canada, but wasn't quite good enough to play for Mexico. You know what I mean? Right. To get stuck in between there. And we see quite a few young players, you know, have to make that decision quite early on in, in their career. And mm. it doesn't always go the right way. Look at Teal Bunbury. That's right. That's right. Exactly. He probably would have got more games uh, for, for us. But at the same time, I mean, you got to have some belief in yourself. And if that's the way you're going to go and uh, you want to play for Mexico, poof, you're setting your sights really, really high. And he's he's been great. I mean, ever since he went over, at, I think he was 12, uh, Marcelo, I think. So he, yeah, so is he 17, 18 now? Like that's it, 18? Marcelo Flores turned 18 uh, in at the start of October. 18. Like, I mean, I keep looking at Arsenal and thinking, hey, like, is he going to, you know, when is it, when is it? He gets slipped in there. Could be soon. I mean, certainly getting getting looks from the Mexican national team, the top 25 team in the world, you're going to get uh, your opportunity. But it does seem like a great place for, for yeah. him to develop on both sides. I mean, yeah. who yeah. knows? Well, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And um, Yeah. But you'd, you would be crazy if you were Mexico and you got a guy that he really wants to play for you right now, get him in, put him in as a substitute in, a, in the World Cup qualifier. You'd be crazy to not cap time. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Hey, we can't have made that mistake enough times. Things aren't going too well for Mexico at the moment. Begovic. Begovic could have actually uh, been tied up at one stage. He was on the bench uh, during a, a match that would have tied him up with Canada. He's a complicated situation, though. I think if he if he got to make his own honest decision, I think I think he would have stayed with Canada. I don't think that was the scenario. There's, 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 there's a lot of back background to uh to to why he chose to play for his homeland i think yeah i think there was it'd be interesting that find out what exactly we'll have to wait for the yasmir begovich book buddy yeah there is a book the same publisher that uh duane and i did uh my life available at all major canadian american and uk book retailers and many local canadian bookstores if you're looking for a christmas present um ecw press they're doing a book on um alfonso davies Newly crowned Canadian Player of the Year, Alfonso Davies. Oh, really? Canada Soccer <laughs> handing out their their awards uh, this week. Alfonso Davies getting the male award, and Jesse Fleming for the women's team. Brilliant, brilliant! What a year for for her. I mean, for Alfonso Davies uh, to, to can talk about staying there. We've had the conversation about Delhi Alley and what it's like to reach the top, but how much hard work it takes to stay there. Alfonso Davies had a, a lot of success very quickly, very unexpectedly at Bayern Munich, and he's been able to stay there and push on and keep a World Cup winning left back out of the side. And uh, they won the Club World Cup right in the, at the start of 2021, uh, won another Bundesliga. He's got quite a trophy cabinet for a, a guy who we thought might be fortunate to be getting first team minutes with Bayern Munich at, at this point in his life and his career. Yeah, yeah, he can literally do the uh, the mic drop just, Thank you, and walk off stage like he honestly done. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah. How many trophies? I mean, it must be in the teens now for trophies. Lost. I've I've lost count. It's it's over ten. I feel like I this mm-hmm. one of these last trophies that they won that that made a ten. But Jesse Fleming has done quite well for herself too. And twenty twenty one was amazing. Obviously, the Olympic gold medal might be what she's most known for here in uh, in Canada. But uh, a key player for Chelsea and increasingly becoming a a more important player for Chelsea. They won the mm-hmm. FA Women's Super League, the Women's FA Cup. The Women's League Cup, and they uh, they lost to Barcelona in the in the Champions League final in twenty twenty one. So That's I was right. uh, like many Canadians, very happy to to see her reach the Olympic heights. But um, being so close after having such a great club season and being so close um, to what would have been an incredible year and in winning the Champions League for Chelsea, I believe that for women's team was the first time in the final, and they got mm-hmm. absolutely shellacked by Barca, who um, have uh, Alexia Puteas, who won the the Women's Ballon d'Or. Yeah, yeah, rightly so. I thought, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, they did get shellap. But they, yeah, they've had a really good, uh, good run. Got a good program there at Chelsea, and the uh, the Chelsea women's uh, following is is pretty good. It's pretty good. Like it's, it's growing, building. growing, really growing. And I have to say, the majority of the women's football, when you're watching at Champions League or even League, uh, I mean, some of them are obviously stronger than others. Just like in the men's game. I think they're drastic in the women still, but the quality is getting to a point like really watchable. I think that was a problem in the past. It's like it was like people are just like it's just there's not at a level yet where it's watchable enough. If you get the two or three best teams in the world, yes, then it was four, then it was five, and then it was six. You know what I mean? And we've expanded, and now, now you're seeing. You know, you'll still see the the number twenty twenty fifth team in the world get absolutely pulverized by a number five team. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not deep enough there, but it's coming. And uh, and with these leagues and opportunities, it's unbelievable. Right, we've got players playing all over Europe, are the biggest clubs in in Europe now into women's football and putting money into it and building stadiums. Investing, pouring money into infrastructure and development, and uh, yeah. Julia Grosso, who scored the the winning penalty, she was just signed by Juventus um, to go along with a long list of of gold medal winning Canadian women that are are playing at at major clubs. And if you look at the Champions League, though, you'll you'll notice that's quite a few um, teams that you don't recognize that don't maybe have a, a big male footprint in, in, or footprint in men's football, um, but Scandinavian teams who had long been really the only ones professionalizing and investing in women's football. And still have a you know a strong foot in in the Champions League, which I think is is great as uh, you know attention and access to to women's soccer continues to grow for for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, that I mean, if you look at even the historically the the best teams in the world in women's football were the teams with where women had access to opportunities in sport or where the freaking game wasn't even illegal. You know, it was legal. Yeah. Like in Germany, I, I think it was illegal up until the for women to play football until just the 70s, I think. Like, it's not that long ago. <laughs> like, it's just nuts, right? No, it's wild. But And even in England, too, right? Like, where the, the culture of, of women's soccer, I think Canadians have this understanding or this this thought that it's, you know, not much different than, than Canada. Must be hugely popular amongst uh, girls and, and, and women. And 
to a degree, but it seems as though that stops like in the teen years, you look at participation. And uh, I had a friend come, come over uh, visiting from, from England, a uh, Manchester guy, but he's, he's lived in London for a long time. And I said, well, bring your boots. Cause the, the, the afternoon you land, we're going to, I'm going to drag you out to men's league, co-ed, co-ed league, excuse me. I'm going to drag you out and you're going to play on my team. And I had said this, it was a co-ed team. And he just assumed that there was a couple of girlfriends that were playing on the team because they were good. And that's a co-ed team. So, right. And he was mind blown because he couldn't imagine in England there ever being enough female players that wanted to participate in an adult league to have a co-ed league. That's right. His thought was, oh, you, you have a few female players on your team, but I'm sure the others don't. Right. And, and there is no way in Ipswich Town you would have had enough women to put a league of six teams together. I never saw a women's game in a field, a pickup game along a highway, you know, with all the millions of soccer fields I passed in England all over the years, never saw one women's game. Yeah. Not a one. So when you think where they've come from, media wise, like you football news, like papers, nobody wrote about it. Nobody put it on. Now the web's full of it. There's sections of it. The the people are reading it. They're taking an interest in it. Interest in it. There's a large following. Mm-hmm. I think Chelsea would, I don't know how many Chelsea women might have a, more followers than the Toronto Maple Leafs or something like that. It's pretty crazy. One of the clubs does. They do have a massive following and they've invested very well. And they also have so, uh, quite a few women high up on their executive team, I think, that have ensured that Chelsea invest and spend and prioritize the the women's team. Yeah, Abramovich is, Abramovich is like, hey, why don't I dominate both? Who would just win them all? Exactly. Exactly. So it's been great to see. Uh, and honestly, just to be able to talk about women's football for the last 10 minutes on this show, I think shows um, how much uh, better and how much more attention it's getting. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm happy to see it. Yeah. And, and there's access to it. I mean, whether you, you know, you got the zone, I mean, it is, you can get access to women's champions league football and it's uh and that's a good thing, which is just leaps and bounds where it was 20 years ago. When I showed up at Wongers to do the uh, Christmas show in the tent and I had a Benfica hat on and, Forrest says, oh, did you see the game today? And I thought, Benfica didn't, didn't play today. And he goes, yeah, in the Champions League, in the women's game. And I forget <laughs> who they who they were playing. But Bayern you went Munich. on to, to rave about this game. And I said, well, what did you think of West Ham? And you said, they played today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so you were, you know, and you were enthralled. You enjoyed watching Bayern and Benfica women's in the Champions League. And you, you happened to miss West Ham. Yeah, they destroyed Benfica. I felt... I've, I felt bad for the goalkeeper for Benfica because she was a she was a stand-in. Uh, I don't know where the other one keeper was injured or whatever, and uh, she didn't have a very good game. She looked very very nervous. I felt sorry for. Her. I mentioned the Canadian awards. I just want to mention the U.S. Soccer uh, awards. The U.S. Men's National Team Player of the Year, Christian Pulisic, won the Champions League. Uh, is the most internationally known player, perhaps, uh, for the U.S. Men's National Team. So that makes sense. And then the the next best known uh, U.S. international, at least on this side of the pond, albeit very quickly, is that Ricardo Pepe from FC Dallas, who everyone's talking about and will certainly make some type of Jonathan David-esque European move, if not bigger, I think. Mm-hmm. He was named Young Player of the Year. Yeah. He was in the side that beat Bosnia 1-0 in Carson at the weekend uh, on, mm-hmm. this, on this international break. Um, it was a mainly all MLS base side. And Brian Reynolds from Roma was allowed to leave and he got on for 30 minutes of that. But did you see Eric Winalda on Twitter? He posted no. a video driving home 
to uh, to Las Vegas from L.A. and he just looked gutted and disappointed as all hell. They beat Bosnia one nil, and he ripped the team for not playing with any heart and caring about the fans and not uh, not putting on a show. So that these international games need to matter more to these players and not just be part of some process, part of some journey. That you you owe it to to the the badge and you owe it to the fans that pay to come watch you to give them a show. And he didn't think that they did that. Is that right, eh? You know, I was never. I mean, he's uh, he's always had a lot to say and a lot of enemies as well. But I gotta say, I'm just gonna look at his uh, his background here. He drove me crazy on the field. Did he? What was yeah. it? Why did he drive you nuts? Ah, uh, just that. Just had that little bit of you know that that American attitude that you just it can just be very annoying. From time to time. Um, okay, so here's a guy, right? So he's complaining about them putting more more time and whatever into it, right? Well, all these clubs he played for, you know, San o, San, o, San Francisco Bay Blackhawks, okay, and and then he went over to Sour Buke and, and then you know he played. 61 games, 29, 57. He played more games. Yeah, he's a Bundesliga guy. Yeah, and then he came back to San Jose Clash, and, you know, he bounced around, but he played, you know, bits games here and there. He wasn't playing that many games. I mean, from from 1999 to 2009, he played about 20, 35 games, about mm-hmm. that or something like that. So, of course, you're going to put more effort into the fucking national team. You're not playing any games. You think Pulisic, Pulisic could be playing, you know, and traveling and playing way more games, high pressure games. He was playing in the United States where nobody gave a shit. And, the, you know, he's not taking any of that into right. account when he's making a Fair. comment like that. 106 appearances for the national team at a time, though, when players yeah. Yeah, weren't weren't getting the access and the opportunities that these players are now in their league game. Oh, yeah. I mean, I understand he was a full time basic uh, national team player. So you told me you spent your Saturday night at the Raptors game. Uh, did you see the Jake Paul Tyrone Tyrone Woodley fight? Did you see the undercard? Former NBA star Darren Williams fought NFL Ironman running back Frank Gore. Well, what was that like? Frank Gore was like fifty eight years old and was playing last season with his son. Uh, Darren Williams kicked his ass, but it was it was so weird to see. Um, but also too to see you know two guys who. Frank Gore was playing in the NFL last season. And with the way COVID is in the NBA, Darren Williams probably could have played on 10 teams in the NBA last night. And here they are in the ring on this undercard, beating each other's faces off for money. Well, I was actually at the when at the Golden State game, and I was thinking, well, I mean, they got nine players, Golden State, right? I get, I get a shot. I get a shot at a shift. Tall guy. I'd get up and down, I'd get up and down the court really well, like once or twice. And then there'd be the old... Lung buster. <laughs> Small forward. Wouldn't that be amazing, though? One run in the NBA? Just get on the court in the NBA, just in a, you know, even just get a shot, say. Get on the ice for an NHL shift. Get a shot, maybe. NFL, maybe catch a pass. I mean, you're talking to a guy who's excited just to catch a pass and to have one shot in co-ed league. You know, when I bring <laughs> someone in from England who who played an uh, academy level up to uh, U11s, yeah, I'm excited just to get a shot in that situation. I had the best period of my life in men's league on Thursday, actually. We all were out there playing like, this is going to be our last game for, who knows, boys, could be our last. We didn't play for two years. It could be another two years. Let's go give it your all. I had four shots in the first period, all from the top of the circle on the left side. I tell you, hey, I, I'm right-hand dominant, but I'm a left-hand shooter. 
They never see it coming. Never saw it coming because it was like a big. It it went like a big loop in the air and into the darkness, and the goalie Basically. couldn't see it. Basically, yeah, it would be, be the equivalent of just skying a a ball that goes out for a throw in. That that's my shot from the point. Yeah, the they come like a butterfly in the air. <laughs> I bring up Darren Williams and Frank Gore though because I tweeted which former footballers would you like to see step into the ring and fight each other, and I I I thought someone would say Dick Allen Forrest. No, no one did. But uh, yeah, that's a couple no, good responses. No. no, that wouldn't be a good. That wouldn't be a good fight. Well, no, it would be a good fight, but there, it's like there's a few guys you would think, you know, that really don't like each other. Maybe would be a better. Well, you guys like each other now, but you're on record as saying you hated Dickio playing against him in the Premier League. He was the, the character type that you despised. Yes, but not him as a guy. Not him as a guy. So no. you had enough exchanges and interactions with him as players to know I hate him as a player, but I like this guy as a person before working together 20s no no i thought he was a, i thought he was a dickhead and then you got to work with him and you thought well he better be good at this part of the job hey there you go you just see you, you never know what people are like until you really get to know them right well said and we got to know uh, Deech really well and he's uh he's got a he's got a soft center we know it that he does it's there you might not see it all the time but it's there he's uh he's got a heart of gold I got some good answers to my question, though. Which footballers would you like to see in the ring? Shawarma Papi tweeted, Zidane and Materazzi. I think a lot of people would love that. And I think Materazzi would definitely be up for that. Strikes me as a guy that would yes. not be put off by that proposal whatsoever. Zidane, on the other hand. That would make that would definitely make money. Not sure how much, but it would definitely be worth putting on paper. I tell you, if, uh, if Eddie Hearn just toys with that, the next time he's trying to sell Anthony Joshua in Saudi Arabia or at Wembley, that would get a lot of buzz. Could you imagine the fight like two nights before the World Cup final or something like that in that oh. little gap? Well, Scotty underscore burns them with another great one. John Terry versus Wayne Bridge. <gasps> There's a beauty. <laughs> that would be again. Uh, I think one of them would, would be up for it, and the other one not so much. John Terry wouldn't dare do that. No, regardless of how fit he is or how many times he's gone to the gone to the gym with Jamie Carragher. Matt Brown zero one one. Roy Keane or Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I don't know if that's like one or the other or against each other. Against each other, that's not a fight I want to see, but it would be amazing. But either of them in the ring, I'd pay I'd pay money for that pay-per-view. Schmeichel, Ian Wright. Remember all that? No. Oh, they were they were at it for ever and ever kicking each other. And yeah. I don't remember that. That would yeah. have been epic. Um I mentioned well, Schmeichel's and it's just Schmeichel's just an angry man, right? He's nothing like his son. But he seems pretty soft on TV, though. Oh, yeah. He is, he is, but generally just angry. Well, Casper's seen his dad and thought, well, I'm not going to be like this as an adult. And look at, you know, you can argue that uh, Casper's had maybe more success because he's done so much more with with less. Less opportunity, less of a team in front of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to hand it to him because I mean, one thing about Casper is always going to—he was always going to get the opportunities. He was into being a goalkeeper since he was like three, and he got shots of him at Man U with with his dad, and uh, so opportunities were, always, were never going to be short for him. But he moved around an awful lot, and he went through times when it was question marks whether he was, you know, good enough for tier two let alone tier one. And uh, 
he he battled and worked hard and you know there's a few guys like that it's interesting because like some of the players sons of former players they don't you you know you think they get an easy ride of it and some of them do but they will fade out quickly but then you get the odd one like a frank lampard for instance who worked outworked everybody and his dad was a west ham superstar and we've seen that happen in in other sports even with uh Zach Hyman at Toronto, very wealthy background, but still one of the fighters on the on the ice. You know, hardworking, and that's 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 not that's that's a rarity. Alex Kerfoot is another one from a very wealthy background. Let's put the work in. Yep. There yep. was great conversation. I don't know if you've come across this uh, podcast. You'd love this podcast too. The High Performance Podcast with Jake Humphrey and Damian Hughes. Uh, Jake Humphrey's yeah. a UK presenter. Do you know this pod? You've heard this before? No, I don't. No. You'd love it. It's very, mm-hmm. very good. So so Jake Humphreys is a sports guy, as I say, sports, sports presenter. And they do have quite a few sports men and women on, uh, which is great. But they also just talk to uh, and anyone who... You know, is at the at the top of of whatever their field is, uh, a high performance mindset. So, major market CEOs, big big company CEOs. Um, but they did a chat with Casper Smichel, which I thought was incredible. And it's all you know, basically mentality and preparation and outlooks on life. And they get to some very deep conversations. And the guests regularly admit, like, "Wow, I've only scratched the surface on this with my therapist," or "This is a conversation I had with." with uh with her in the, one of the last sessions or 10 years ago and i've not really opened it up since then you you really get some very interesting views and, and outlooks from uh from people who are, are performing at the very top of of the field yeah. and what they do and then that, that sort of mental battle in your head you're always consistently having with your your ups and downs and the younger you are the crazy ups and downs like you win a game you do played well you're top of the world and Yet the other way it goes down, and you just think, "Oh, confidence just goes absolutely shot." So then you get kind of a sort of a balance, you know. And as you get more mature and more used to it, and then trying to deal with the fact that you know there's just so many games, and games are coming, and to try not to think about anything except the moment that you're in at that particular time. And if you can do that and box it into a two-hour period. You can be scatterbrained everywhere else. But if you can do that and box it in and do that consistently, you'll be, you got a chance. You got a chance at the top end. I mean, there's plenty of players that can do it once in a while, but you have to be able to show up and do it regularly. We've seen that with MLS and college players coming out of the college system, not used to that. You know, when their preseason's two weeks or something, it's short and don't play a lot of games. They go into MLS and next thing you know, you're flying coast to coast and, you know that's another issue for them, and they they find it very difficult to adapt to the the daily routines of a professional. Do you envy the opportunity and the access to the tools and just you know, the the changing you know belief and understanding and prioritizing of of mental health of athletes? Do you, do you ever think what what it would be like in your playing career if you had the access to sports psychologists and some of the tools that these goalkeepers? Well, benefit from now? I was I was fortunate that I did. Uh, Ipswich was I mean going back to when. I first got into the, in the team, you know, around 19, 20 years old, I had access to a sports therapist. Like, so, uh, again, Bobby Robson had just left the club to go manage England, but he was so forward thinking 
compared to the rest as far as bringing in internationals with Franz Tyson and Arnold Muren. And people were like, there's no chance these guys, these Dutchies, they call them Dutchies, are going to be able to play. They're going to have the shit kicked out of them. They're going to be tippy-tappy and all this. And those guys kind of broke the ice for me to get there because even though I was from Canada, they were they had a different sort of mindset on foreigners and that, hey, I think we might be on to something here that other clubs are like still that if, you know, British and English and, you know, they got to be from Newcastle. And, it, it, you know, there's a lot of that going on. You know, we are the best. I mean, remember, England didn't go to the first World Cup because they're, you know, so stuck up their own ass. So not much has changed. So not much has changed. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I think most of them would agree to a point, you know. Well, buddy, I'm glad that we got to do another weekend recap. And uh, despite all the uncertainty out in the world and in our world of Premier League football and soccer, that we're able to talk about some games and get to some other topics today, too, man. This was fun. It was been great. And plus, that Spurs game was fantastic. I loved it. Yeah. Recency bias, but good shout for game of the season. Yeah, on, exactly. Yeah, on the on the on the top ten list at least. Oh yeah. Hopefully How about that? You got to say what are the parts of the game when uh, Deli Alley goes down, which they wave off. Yeah, for a penalty, rightly so, I think. I don't think there was any con- there was enough contact. Do you agree? He went down. He yeah. looked for it. He looked for it. Plays on, goes back. There's actually a potential handball on Salah. Ends up going across to Robertson. He scores. You can you imagine VAR at that moment? No. You know, what are they checking? Fucking everything. <laughs> you know, and then I was actually on the phone with McKechnie at that time, and he was like, well, what are they going to do about the goal? I said, no, no, they're going to go backwards, and then if that if they think Ali was, was a penalty, then that's wiped off, and we're going down, and we're taking a, a penalty. And if they think it's a handball by Salah, then it'll be <laughs> – so they had a whole bunch of things to look at. It's pretty interesting. I don't envy any of the people that work in those officiating groups, whether they're the fourth official, whether they're the lines men or women, whether they're in that VAR truck. I I couldn't do it. I couldn't you do know, it. You think about that, eh? When they go into a game, they must, like, when you walk off and you think, pretty straightforward, nothing controversial, players weren't kicking, looking shit at each other. Yeah, pretty good. And you get into that scenario and you must think, or maybe they relish it. Maybe they, you know, maybe they relish that, you know, being able to handle that situation. I don't know. Some guys, some guys love the spotlight. We, you know, it's easy to to true to put Mark Clattenburg up on the on the pedestal in that regard. That's someone who really loved the attention. Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you heard him speak? He was all over the broadcast of the MLS final broadcast. He was there, their man in the booth. God, he sounds like a like a party version of John Herdman. Same town, right? It's like John Herdman on a night out. That's Mark Clattenburg talking about refereeing. From the same town. That same village there? The same village. Oh, shit. Did that Con- come up in your quiz? Onset. Wow. Yeah, it was, he was one of my quiz. Yeah, he, and he knew who he was. What a place, eh? And then he burned, have... me on, he burned me on a couple quizzes, uh, John, on a, when he said... Uh, he knew your answers. Yeah, yeah he goes, oh, God, somebody else from there is so-and-so. I'm like... Okay, there goes question number four. <laughs> it was Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson. Do you know that name? Yeah, of course. Mr. Bean. Yeah, there you go. Mr. Bean. He's from that town too. 
of 27,000 people. There's some pretty cool people from there. Wild. Who would have and thought? And our Canadian it? women's coach from there. Yeah, the, uh, the, like, the coach of, of Canada's men and women's team and the uh, former head of officiating in Saudi Arabia. How is, that, how is that possible? Like you think of the odds of that. I don't know if I can name, you know, 10 famous people from Windsor, my hometown of Windsor, Ontario. I bet you couldn't. That'd be another quiz though. We'll save that for another quiz. Okay. Cause you'd be, you'd be getting to number six and seven. I wouldn't know who they were. They're probably just some guy, some log rolling guy or something. I would be number six or seven. That's what I thought you were going to yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were, you were the fastest man in Windsor. <laughs> Oh, buddy! I'm glad that I'm uh, I'm the the fastest editor the, or the secondary editor of this show, so we can put together some pieces, uh, and I'll put together actually some some best stuffs. There's been some great stories. I don't know if uh, I'll take one of your ones here, but there's been some great stories that you and Deech and and Charmin and Wonger have uh, have told. All of us have told over the years. So we'll we'll try and put together a little something for you to entertain you through this Christmas period, and hopefully we have some games to talk about, and we can jump on and do. Uh, a couple of podcasts. Uh, I'm going to take a few days and a break and go out west to your hometown, buddy. But I'm excited to, to come back and have some more football to talk about. Yeah, good luck with that. I hope everything goes well with the flight and stay uh, stay healthy and safe, buddy. Thank you, man. Same to you, everyone listening. Thanks for listening to Footy Prime. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.